Hello and welcome to 10 by 9 where 9 people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. I'm Paul Doran and this is the 10 by 9 podcast. You know the spiel by now, Potter Gotuma and I started 10 by 9 in September 2011 in the Black Box in Belfast and we love it. We have a fantastic mix of stories for you on this week's podcast, Hostage Situation. The birthday boy has hurt himself. Her brother's screams could be heard in the distance. My sexy photo was attracting likes, but there was a problem. The likes I was receiving were all from women, the local women of County Down. My mom got us Irish passports when we were born because it's much better in a hostage situation. <laughs> yes, yeah, she actually said that. Okay, let's get on with the first of our stories, and David Mitchell told this at a recent event in Belfast when the theme was break, B-R-E-A-K, which he interpreted in multiple ways. Here's Podrig with the introduction. Our next story comes from David Mitchell, so please give a warm welcome to David Mitchell. This this story of uh, family breaks... Uh, begins, funnily enough, almost exactly three years ago, on Friday the 24th of May, 2019. My son was turning four, so we were having a party for him in the Cherryvale Play Park on the Ravenhill Road. Very simple. Invite some of his friends, have a big play in the play park, and then a picnic and some cake. By home time at 5pm, no one else's kid had hurt themselves, The rain had stayed off, all a great success. It wouldn't be long until I'd be at the Rajput Indian on the Newtonards Road, as I had been every Friday for years for our ritual celebration of surviving another week with two little kids. I was helping pack up the picnic when my daughter, who was six at the time, came running. The birthday boy has hurt himself, she shouted. The birthday boy has hurt himself. Her brother's screams could be heard in the distance. We find him lying at the bottom of the climbing wall, his leg in a position that legs are not meant to be in. We scooped him up, bundled him into the car, and raced to the Royal Victoria Children's A&E. Now, my son hurt himself several times a day, and we even went to A&E quite often. So even as the doctor looked him over, I was still mentally and emotionally committed to being at the Rajput <laughs> in a few hours. But we would not be getting Indian that night. In that casual way that medical people have, the doctor said, well, he's broken his femur, so he'll be staying in. We'll tie him in a splint, then probably after two weeks or so, when the bone has started to heal, we'll take him to an operating theater where we'll wrap his two legs in a cast Uh, and then he'll have that for about six weeks. This was a bombshell, though perhaps not as explosive as you might think, because as happens on these occasions, the logistics kick in and there's no time to think. And so all that the doctor said came to pass. A few days after my son got his cast off, wife and I managed to think ourselves into thinking we were pregnant. It was highly unlikely, but thoughts can snowball, and we had a panicked few days of future rewriting before it was clear that this was not the case. 
So there we were, early July, and all these heady events could only lead us to one place, a remarkable place of both trepidation and possibility, the EasyJet website. <laughs> three days in Amsterdam in three weeks' time. We were alive and free, and we were going to make the most of our precious days together on Earth. Now, flying to the Netherlands may not sound too radical, but in our world at that time, this was a true and reckless adventure. The excitement began to build. And for me, this excitement manifested itself in a particular way, a powerful and irrational fixation on attaining a guidebook, a good old-fashioned, hard copy, gently informative guidebook. I was going to be a tourist for the first time in years, and I was going to do it right. So, the next Saturday, I persuaded the kids to come into town on the glider with me to go to Waterstones. Now, I may have led them to believe that accompanying your father to get a guidebook was an essential travel task, like getting a passport, but in any case, they cooperated. My son's cast was off, but he was still in a buggy because his leg muscles had withered away and it would take him a while for him to walk again. So off the bus we got, headed straight to Waterstones. I carried him in the buggy upstairs to the travel section. Now, let's see, A for Amsterdam. Ooh, there's lots. Mm, this one's too pricey, mm, that one's too big. Uh, that one's too hip and trendy for us. Uh, ah, now, this one has just the right balance of text and pictures, easy to carry around, and look, it has a foldy-out map attached to the back with both the city centre and the metro system. I brandished it. <laughs> this is the one, kids, I said. They endorsed my choice, and we went to pay for it. Our little trip in town was going so well, without injuries or moaning, that I decided to extend it over lunch. Up we went to the Marks and Spencer Cafe, and there we passed around our glossy guidebook, folding the map in and out, and excitedly pointing out the pictures of the places we go. When I got the suitcase out at home, the guidebook was the first thing I put in it. Two weeks later, we touched down in Amsterdam. Three days. Three days of being scorched by the sun and soaked by the rain, jostled by crowds. We were told off three separate times by staff members in different places for doing the wrong things. We couldn't find foods the kid would eat. We couldn't find four seats together in the cafes. We missed trains. We got lost. And we did not sleep. It was the best three days imaginable. <laughs> And all the time, my little guidebook was with us, getting snatched, soggy, stained, and scribbled on. I've got Google Maps right here, my wife would say, as we stood on a street corner. I can see exactly where we are. It's okay, I said. I've got my guidebook. <laughs> the day after we returned home, my daughter got out some paper and folded the little pages into a booklet. She wrote down all the favourite things that she'd done on her holiday. She cut out pictures from brochures we'd picked up and stuck them on. And then she went to the recycling and fished out a free map 
we got at the hotel. She stuck this map onto the back of her booklet so that it could fold out. Look, Daddy, she said. Look what I made. It's just like your guidebook. Months later, in November, a grey autumnal afternoon, I was walking through the city centre when I remembered I had to get someone a birthday card. I'll get one in Waterstones, I thought. And as I walked there, broken legs, Amsterdam, guidebooks were nowhere near my mind. But the moment I stepped into the shop, I gasped and my eyes filled with tears. Thank you so much, David. That gave me such a wonderful, warm feeling. I hope you'll be back soon. And if you have a story for 10 by 9 then get in touch through the submissions page on our website, which is 10 by 9com We are always, always looking for storytellers. Okay, let's go back a year to May 2021 when we were on Zoom. And while they were unusual times, our stories were, as always, brilliant. No stranger to the podcast, here's Richard O'Leary with a lockdown tale with a few minor sexual references. Nothing too raunchy even though the theme was sexy. Sexy was not a word I thought to use in my profile for online dating. The online dating I joined during lockdown. I began my search for love online by taking out my mobile phone. And on my phone, I signed up to the dating app Tinder. I wrote a profile and I'll read out to you what I uploaded on Tinder. Richard, 55, lives in Belfast. I'm full of life, caring, cultured, humorous. I enjoy performing stories, cinema, walks. I'm six foot tall, slim, affectionate. At home, it's Radio 4, The Irish Times, and Tintin. I'm looking for a single gay man living in Ireland interested in a long-term relationship. I uploaded a photo to Tinder. In the photo, I'm wearing a corduroy jacket. I'm pictured in a corduroy jacket because I used to be an academic. In hindsight, that may not have been the most sexy of my photos. Nevertheless, no sooner had I uploaded my profile and that sexy photo, on Tinder that I received notifications of interest. Bing! Thank you for your purchase. You're going to love Tinder Gold. Now you have access to see who likes you and five super likes per day. Okay, that first notification was from a computer, from Tinder, but it was followed by real notifications from human beings. Bing! My first like had come in, eight miles away, aged 50, Anne, Anne, bing, a super like, five miles away, aged 44, Sharon, Sharon. My sexy photo was attracting likes, but there was a problem. The likes I was receiving were all from women, the local women of County Down. I really like women, but not in that way. So I checked my settings on Tinder, and I hadn't noticed that it wasn't enough to say I was a gay man. No one reads what you write anyhow. I needed to click a box that stated, male looking for male. 
See, you can learn practical tips from my storytelling. I edited my settings on Tinder, but the damage had already been done. I'd got off to a bad start on Tinder from which I never really recovered. So I moved to the best known dating app for gay men, the dating app called Grindr. I should have guessed with a name like Grindr, it was going to be a bit more explicit than Tinder. As soon as I'd uploaded that same photo of me in that not so sexy core jacket, I realized that on my photo, I wasn't suitably dressed. Grinder isn't a cord jacket type of place. Indeed, I was overdressed. I was overdressed because not everybody on Grinder is fully dressed. Then there was the language. I discovered the letters NSA. NSA stands for No Strings Attached Sex. Who would have thought that no strings attached sex was so readily available in North County Down and during lockdown? Bing! My first notification on Grinder. It's exciting. Married guy. Hi, how are you? 49 from Ards, seven miles away. Discreet. Meet at your place. Versatile bottom. You've heard of smooth bottom and you've heard of hairy bottom. Now you've heard of versatile bottom. This was not what I was hoping for. I'm not really into that top bottom sexual thing. Then I saw this profile on Grindr. It read, Neil, 49, regular guy, seeking sane people for chat and dates. Not interested in NSA, meet at a coffee shop. This looked more promising. So I messaged the stranger. And so Neil and I began texting on the phone. Me. Hello, Neil. So what do you like doing in your spare time? Um, walking, exploring, coffee, reading, antique shops, Netflix. What about you? Me. I go hill walking, lived in China when I was younger, but these days I like to explore closer to home. I only drink tea, read mostly history, just signed up for Netflix. Five out of six common interest isn't bad. I make myself a cup of tea and lemon drizzle cake. Him, ooh, my favorite cake. Well, one of them, me, hmm. Well, I'm willing to share my drizzle cake with you. Neil and I were getting on very well on text. So I took our online chatting to the next level. Remember, this is during lockdown and we weren't permitted physically to meet anyone from another household. The next level would have to still be online. Also, I'm an old fashioned sort of guy when it comes to dating. So I invited him to afternoon tea, a virtual afternoon tea. Now, me being me, I prepared everything in advance I'd need for a romantic virtual afternoon tea. Because I had my Barry's tea from Cork, of course. And my mug with my name on it. Because I thought it would be helpful on any of these virtual dates to help the other person actually remember my name. 
and I even bought specially lemon drizzle cake because my dad had said that was his favorite. And I had my favorite dainty Irish milk jug. Very polite. And I said for afternoon virtual tea, do you take milk? This was all rather like my childhood. My childhood with me playing with myself, playing with an imaginary friend. Our virtual afternoon tea was more drizzle than sizzle. There was no sign of romance. After a few more virtual meets, we agreed that we did not have a romantic future. But Neil and I became online friends. However, for the online dating to progress, I realized I needed to take remedial action. It was time to reveal more. And if you want to find out what happened next, you have to return in the future for the rest of my story. Oh, what a cliffhanger, Richard O'Leary. I wrote into the chat there that never has share my drizzle cake sounded more suggestive in the history of the world, Richard. I almost blushed. <laughs> ah, blush away, Podrick. And by the way, Richard, we're still waiting for part two of that story. Let's hope you'll be back with us soon to tell it. Thank you. Don't forget, if you can give us a rating or even a nice review at the place where you get your podcasts, it'll only take you a minute and we'd be very grateful. And if you want to help support us, you can make a donation at Patreon or PayPal. There are links to our website, 10by9.com. Thank you. On to our third story now, and it's also from our recent evening in the black box. And here's a little background. Paula Tobacken was a 10 by 9 regular from our earliest days in 2011. She disappeared from the 10 by 9 radar after a couple of years to raise her daughter Maya. But she came storming back with this brilliant story and we were delighted. Be warned, there are a few F-bombs that reflect her extreme frustration. You'll see exactly what I mean. I think we've all gone a bit odd since lockdown. I know that I certainly have. No, no, seriously, I, I feel like we've all skilled a little bit. So it took a lot of mental arithmetic to finally make the decision to book a flight. I'd completely forgotten how to cope in airports. So I spent hours packing, sorting, going over my paperwork, sorting COVID stuff, proof of insurance, pretty much everything and loads of extras just in case. I had planned this down to the very last detail. And this is difficult for me at the best of times, given my dyslexic, mortal fear of forms and paperwork. It should be a recognized condition. Well, you know how they say we make plans and God laughs? Well, oh my God, was she about to laugh. Off we go on our way to visit my family in Israel. Marmite, potato bread, bistro gravy and tea bags in tow, as is our family tradition. We arrive at Luton, put the big bag in the baggage storage area. We got on the bus booked well in advance to Golders Green, phoned a cousin. Five minutes before arrival, he was exactly where we had agreed. Perfect. Just as planned. I should have known something if he was coming up when I took a lateral flow test and came out looking like a Mondrian painting. 
200 tests later, <laughs> confirmed that this was indeed a faulty test and a false positive. But by then, we'd already made provisional plans to clear another cousin out of her flat so we could spend the rest of the holiday in isolation. Next, fit to fly PCR. And that's a fucking racket if I ever saw one. <laughs> 79 pounds to stick something up my nose. Okay, all right. Suck it up. The world has changed. I haven't seen my family in three years, and I have a yummy nephew I haven't seen yet. So test done, and I decided to treat me and the child to sushi and bubble tea. As we were about to leave, I realized with horror, my bag was stolen. Who the hell gets robbed in a sushi place? The passports and bank card were gone. By some stroke of luck, the phone wasn't. I phoned my uncle who came to calm down the child and I started frantically ringing around. 20 minutes for the emergency line to the bank, one hour waiting for the emergency line to the passport office, and they had emptied my bank account in 30 minutes. Shopping in Waitrose, Marks and & Spencers, and W.H. Smiths. Obviously, thieves in the great capital have a superior taste. After my elderly aunt had searched in all the bushes and the bins around Muswell Hill for the discarded bag and hoping for a miracle the passports were still in it, we gave up. Now, no one tells you what to do when everything falls apart. So I decided wisely to defer my mental breakdown as it wouldn't be fair on my elderly relatives. Okay. So the police report is now done online because it is fucking impossible to ever speak to a human being about anything anymore. I booked an appointment with the Irish passport office for an emergency passport. Now to find an Irish passport application form. I was advised of the existence of an Irish centre in Camden. This was going to be so easy. I phoned my partner to courier over the child's birth certificate, previous passports, any bit of paper that we might need, everything. Brilliant! Irish Centre in Camden. On the site, it says open till 11 p.m. Fantastic. Child in tow. The sat-nav thought I was a car, so it took me all around the way, uh, down the streets, until I saw the welcoming beacon of the Irish flag. My mom got us Irish passports when we were born and suggested I stick with it rather than going for a British one because it's much better in a hostage situation. <laughs> yes, yeah, she actually said that. <laughs> so there I was, never prouder to be Irish, looking at a big picture of Michael Higgins, sure that he himself would solve all of my passport problems. Apparently. The only support available at the time for destitute Irish citizens is a supply of tato crisps and Guinness. <laughs> the site should have really clarified that the only thing open till that time was the feckin' bar. At this stage, I had to give the child a swear word amnesty. 
She promptly kicked the suitcase and said she hopes the thieves shit themselves. <laughs> With confidence and assurance that she would not have to put 50p in the swear jar when we got home. <laughs> Our fairy godmother, John O'Neill, deserves a celebrity mention, treated us to Cinderella in the West End. You may have heard of it. It was cancelled recently. Now, not sure if that had anything to do with me spreading bad luck, but I wouldn't rule it out. We headed to the passport office where I was advised to find a random priest or lawyer who could verify our application and affidavits and pictures. The clerk added helpfully, sure, they don't even have to know you. At this stage, my mental breakdown was becoming a little bit more apparent. Mister, you don't know us, and you are looking at us. And you have the pictures in your hand. Can you not verify that's who we are? You do realize how utterly insane this all sounds? So I had to cancel the appointment and any hope of continuing our journey, as I had now fully convinced myself that the thieves, the bank, the post office, the sushi guy, the bartender, the Irish embassy, and the Israeli embassy, which is a whole different bag of frogs, had all conspired against me. And it was best not to test how unlucky I really was. My wonderful uncle was able to make sure I had money for the city, in which money just disappears down the drain. But London, my friends, has become cash-free. That's right. The city with one of the highest crime levels in Europe will punish you when you are robbed. So I had to get a money card from the post office. The man in the post office asked, can I have your card number to load this card? I said, no, I'm, I'm paying with cash. And it uh, sounded like I was paying with magic beans. <laughs> After retrieving my massive suitcase from the airport, canceling the flight, and posting all the crap my mother had ordered from Belfast, I settled back into deferred mental breakdown. It wasn't too bad, hung around London with family, and was finally ready to head back home. Apparently, for your information, it's completely possible to take a domestic flight without a passport. Relieved I could now fully fall apart, I promptly did the minute I arrived. The swear word amnesty had to continue, <laughs> and after all the effing and blinding in the car, I arrived home to three things. Number one, the police report from the CCTV confirming that this was an organized theft by two people, a woman who distracted the person at the till and a man who slipped the bag off the chair and placed it in her handbag. The second thing was a state-of-the-art doc document safety belt, compliments of our fairy godmother. And the third, a very over-cheery message from the Irish Centre saying, need help with an Irish passport application form? We are here for you. Are you? I? Fuck off. <laughs> if I didn't have to dig up my mother's birth certificate from God knows where, I'd be getting a British one just for badness and just bloody risk the hostage situation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you very much, Paula Javakin. Marvellous to have this story from you after a few years of a break, and we look forward to more in the future. Indeed, Podrig. We look forward to that. Thank you, Paula. How lovely to have you back. And that is it for this podcast. I really do love to hear from you. It lets me know for sure that someone is listening. You can get in touch on social media. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also email, which is story at 10by9.com or via the website, which is 10by9.com. Keep an eye out for upcoming events and themes. And please, if you can, tell as many people as you can about the podcast. It is the best way to get noticed. Thanks to the lovely audiences of Zoom and the Black Box and their wonderful staff. And thanks to all our storytellers, but especially David Mitchell, Richard O'Leary and Paula Tobacco. I'm Paul Dorn and I'll be back with another podcast soon. But for now, bye bye.